0: I was walking into the Piggly Wiggly in Monroe back when it was a Piggly Wiggly. I don't know if y'all remember that, but there's now a church that's taken that spot. And uh, that church, um, before it was a church, the Piggly Wiggly was there, and I was walking in one day, and I had, I was on the cell phone, I was talking to my mom. And I was walking into the Piggly Wiggly, I see this guy coming out the doors, you know, they have those like automatic doors kind of thing, and he gets to about where the automatic doors are, and I see him, he's got a shopping basket, one of these like little carry-all shopping baskets, the kind of thing that us guys use when we go shopping, you know, we fill it up to the top, and then we're done right? And so he's walking out of the Piggly Wiggly, and he's got a bunch of meat in it. He's got just steaks and all sorts of expensive meats in this thing. It's piled to the rim, and I see him as he was coming toward me. He's looking over toward the register, and he's looking around making sure nobody's seeing him, and he's also just kind of, I can tell he's a little bit agitated. He's a little bit, uh, he looks suspicious. And so when he gets to the door, I'm realizing this guy's walking out of the store without paying for his meat. Um, And so I stood in front of the doorway, and I said, sir, I'm not going to allow you to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and uh, so, and he looks at me, and he tried to get by me. And I said, sir, I'm sorry. You're going to have to go pay for that meeting. I'm not going to allow you to leave. And uh, so a little bit of something started to happen there, and people in the store are starting to realize what's going on. The people over there at the cash register realize what's going on. Little stirs going. before you know it, the guy takes a swing at me. And I ducked off to the side, and I pushed him out of the way. And so he's getting, now he's not even worried about getting caught by the cops. He just figures, I'm going to take care of this dude. And so the two of us start getting a little bit of a tussle. And the next thing I know, I'm head over heels heading into the little Debbie's little section there. <laughs> And then some other guy comes in, and I don't know where he fell on the broom handle, but he whacks this guy over the back of his back, and the guy swings around to, hit, to see who hit him in the back, and he get, tackles this guy, and then I jumped on top of them, and then a whole bunch of other people top, top, jumped on top of them, and friends, if you believe any of what I just told you, then we got something to talk about on December 25th. <laughs> <clears throat> Part of that story was true. I did see a guy coming out of a store, and he was stealing some meat, and he walked around by me before I realized what was going on. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night or been driving down the road in the car and thought, if I had only, if I had only, right, one of those kind of situations. But if all that story leads me to believe, why would somebody do something like that? I mean, here's a guy that's willing to risk going to jail for about $100 worth of meat, right? He was going to go grill out for his friends, maybe throw some in the freezer. I don't know what he was going to do with it, but I just thought, why would somebody take such a risk for, uh, some, for something so little, right? Well, it goes to what we want to talk about today. We've been in a series talking about what is a biblical worldview, and we know that a biblical worldview is made up of presuppositions. And the first week, we talked about how God is our creator, not just that God exists, but that God created us to be the kind of people that we are. And then second of all, we talked about last week how this world has fallen, that when sin entered into the world because of Adam and Eve, it affected literally the physical stuff of the world, that death and decay and disease became a part of this world that we live in. And then today, we want to take that, that next step further to talk about about how man is a fallen creature. Not only did sin affect the creation, God's creation, but it also impacted us on the inside. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Our text comes from Romans chapter 7 verses 8 and 18 and 19. If you would, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 7 verses 18 and 19. Here we go. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You may be seated. That was a tongue twister. That's kind of like the Dr. Seuss passage of the Bible. Think about that a little bit. All right. So let's kind of walk through these verses together. But before we get to 18 and 19, I want for us to take one step backwards and look at verse seventeen. So let's look at verse seventeen together. It says, "So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells." within me. Paul is saying that the cause of his sinful actions, the reason why this guy was compelled to walk out of the store with this meat and why he was willing to do that is because of this sinful bent that lives on the inside of us, this natural instinct within us to rebel, this natural drive within us to want to cover our tracks, to lie, to cheat. Again, we don't have to coach two-year-olds to act that way, right? They're just born into the world. We're born into this world with this sinful nature. Verse 19, Paul goes on to say, and he's not just talking about you and me, but he's including himself in this lineup. He says, for I, talking about himself, do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul says here that he has struggled with sin Personally, and think about this this is the Apostle Paul who has memorized tons of scripture, who is a scholar on scripture. This is a guy who has planted churches. This is a guy who has evangelized probably tens of thousands of people, leading them to Christ. This is a guy who has remarkable self discipline, dedicated to the Lord in prayer. And despite all of that, he says, I've got this sinful nature living on the inside of me. So, despite all of that, he says, I've got this too. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You say, Gordon, where did all this come from? I mean, I agree with what the Apostle Paul's saying here. I observe this myself. When I go out into the workaday world, I observe people who are trying to trick me, people who are trying to undercut me, people who are trying to cheat me. I run into that all the time everywhere I go, people being ugly toward me. I mean, all you have to do is drive out here in the mornings, get stopped at a stoplight, not be the last person to go through it, make the yellow light or whatever, and somebody's mad at you, right, because they're trying to get on to work. Well, that's a good question. Where did all this come from? And Paul tells us where it came from. Romans chapter 5, just a few chapters before. He writes chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who's he talking about there? Who's the man? Adam. That's right. So he's talking about Adam. He says, just as sin came into the world through the one man. Um, So he's pointing back to the original sin that Adam committed in the garden. He says, sin came into the world. Basically, Adam ushered sin into our human experience. Paul goes on to say, chapter 5, verse 19, "...for as by the one man's disobedience," that is, by Adam's disobedience, "...the many were made sinners." So where did our sinful nature come from? How did this become a part of our DNA? How we're born in this world with this natural desire, natural instinct to sin? It came from Adam. It came from the sin that he committed in the garden, and then that had its lasting effects in our lives. Yes, we have instincts to love. Yes, we have instincts to want peace and harmony. Yes, we can see beauty. But we also have instincts to do what is rebellious, what uh, we consider sinful. You know, part of what made Jesus so intriguing to the people that he interacted with is because Jesus was not like us. Jesus was born into the world without a sinful nature. He came into the world like Adam and Eve came into the world without this bent toward sin. Um, That's why the virgin birth is so important. It's because Jesus was not the product of natural processes by a man and a woman. Rather, the Holy Spirit brought the fertilized egg and placed it in the womb of Mary. Mary was a surrogate mother for the Lord Jesus. He wasn't born into this world like you and I are. He came like Adam into the world without this sinful nature. And he didn't sin, right? But part of what made him so intriguing was, he was his natural instinct was joy. His natural instinct was love and sacrifice and wanting to please his heavenly Father. That's what came natural to him. He was different than us. And as a result of that, he was pleasant to be around. He was the perfect child, of course. Um, he was full of love and joy. He was different than any human being than you and I, your I would ever meet. So that's where our sinful nature came from. It goes all the way back to Adam. It is our inheritance as the human race, part of the curse, Adam's gift, right, to you and I. Again, this is part of a biblical worldview that when we walk out of the door each day, we know that we are going to encounter deceit and trickery and people being ugly and that we ourselves will experience impulses in that direction because to be human means that we have this impulse for sin dwelling on the inside of us. You say, I agree with all that you're saying, Gordon. Again, I hear that. I've observed that in my own interactions with human beings. This is definitely my experience. I've been around two-year-olds before. A sinful nature is definitely a part of the human experience. But does the Bible address this anywhere else? Or is this just kind of a Romans 7 kind of a thing? Well, no, the Bible points this out many different places. For example, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God acknowledges this reality. He says, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, observing humanity, he makes this reflection. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. This is God's observation of the human experience. He says, look, I'm looking at this and y'all are full on corrupt. Uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, just after the flood, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart, that is what drives him, what's on the inside of us, is evil from his youth. So all through our life, God's saying, I'm observing that this is is how it is with man. This is how it is with humanity. uh, We just have a sinful nature that's living on the inside of them. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. He continues the litany, verse 22. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Jesus says the birthplace of all of these actions is on the inside of us that that's where this stuff originates. It's down on the inside of us. It comes natural for for us. And the more we give into that, the worse and worse the actions get. And then he concludes in verse 23, all these evil things come from within. They end up defiling a person. And then finally, Romans 7 and verse 23, Paul says, but I see in my members, that is in my body, Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Again, there's Scripture. Again and again and again, the consistent message of Scripture is that we have this sinful nature this bent toward rebellion, toward not following God's laws, His His rules, His standards for our moral conduct um, that's living on the inside of us. So let's sum up. Paul has a sinful nature, a bent towards sin that he says comes along with being human. Everyone has got this. It's part of the human condition. We don't have to coach people to behave badly. It's an instinct that dwells inside of the heart of all people. And it's been that way as long as mankind has been on this earth since Adam sinned the very first time. All right, well, that's our treatment of presupposition number three, that man is a fallen creature that we have this sinful nature that lives on the inside of us and so that means it's time for us to ask the most important question what difference does all this make to my life you say Gordon you really depressed me I mean I didn't come here this morning to get depressed but that's what you've done I mean did you bring us here this morning to tell us how rotten we are is that what you brought us here for I mean what difference does any of this make to my life well that's a great question let's see if we can answer that if you look at Romans chapter 7 it looks like really bad news, right? That we're, we've got this sinful nature that's living on the inside of us. Paul says, the good that I want to do is not what I end up doing. The things that I don't want to do are the things that I, you know, end up doing. And so uh, Paul says, look, God's got a solution for that. Let's look at ch- chapter 7, and verse 24. Paul writes, wretched man that I am, got that, right? Who will deliver me? from this body of death, from this sinful nature? Well, verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, even when we sin, even when we make mistakes, God comes right along through Jesus Christ and washes our hearts clean and cleanses us of those wrong behaviors, cleanses us from that sin. And so that's good news number one, right? That even when we do make mistakes, even despite our sinful nature and that we act out on that sinful nature, friends, that despite all that God forgives us and cleanses our hearts and sets us back into right relationship with him. But there's more. we got to keep reading here. Look at verse chapter 8 and verse 2. He says, Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me give you just a little theology lesson here. When you enter into a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ... This person called the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. I don't know how that works, but I know that that's the way. That's what happens. First Corinthians chapter six and verse nineteen tells us: Do you not know that your body is the temple? Temple is the place where God lives. Do you not know that your body, your physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Friends, the Holy Spirit of God, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, lives inside of you. Isn't that wonderful? And because of that, what Paul is saying here is that because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, the power of that sinful nature has been disrupted. Our sinful nature doesn't have the same sway over us that it used to have, or at least it doesn't have to. So get this, Paul acknowledges in Romans chapter 7 that, yeah, the things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, but that was back when my sinful nature was in charge. Romans chapter 8 reveals that a new sheriff is in town. Kind of cool, right? The Holy Spirit. And he says that this Holy Spirit sets me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is that our sinful nature no longer has to reign over our behaviors. You know, I hear this a lot. I hear Christians saying, you know, sin's just something I'm going to do, and I've got this certain sin in my life, or a couple of things that I do, and it's, I'm just resigned to just trying to manage it the best I can. It's just going to happen. Sin just has to happen. It's just part of my sinful nature, and I got to just go with that and accept it and try my best. Well, friends, those Christians have got things partly right, did Paul say, or Paul did say that we are on our own, cannot beat sin? We read that earlier. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 said, For I have the desire to do what is right, but the ability, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Paul said, I've got stuff in my life too that I wish I could overcome, stuff that's too big for me to overcome. And he said, Every time I try of my own merit, of my own strength, I end up failing. I end up doing the thing that I wish I didn't do. He says, but thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ that I don't have to live that way. Keep reading Romans chapter 8. He says in chapter 8, again, that that the Holy Spirit of God has set me free from this body of death. Friends, please do not ever let anyone tell you that you are trapped in your sin. That there is no hope for you to ever overcome this. Don't ever let somebody sell you that line. That is not in the Scriptures anywhere. God gives us the power through His Holy Spirit to live differently. Right? That tomorrow can be a new day. Friends, uh, You know, when you think about it, our culture's bought into this lie, though. Instead of encouraging drug users to say no to drugs and to get off of drugs... They take the defeatist attitude and pass out clean needles because that's the path of least resistance. Instead of teaching abstinence in schools, we just accept that young people are going to have premarital sex, and so we push birth control pills. I have a good friend who works at the University of Georgia in the health department there, and he says you would not believe the numbers of young ladies grew up, growing up in decent homes all across this state who enter into our health care getting birth control pills week after week after week. Friends, that is premeditated sin. That is, I know, God, that I'm going to do this. I'm just resigned to it. It's just the way life's going to have to be. You're just going to have to forgive me. In contrast, the Bible says you do not have to keep on sinning. We are greater than our base instincts. Let me say that again. We are greater than our base instincts. Just because there's an instinct there, an impulse there to do it, doesn't make it right. Paul said you can overcome this, Romans 8 and verse 2. The spirit living inside of you has set you free in Christ Jesus from the chains of your sinful nature, from the law of sin and death that used to reign over your mortal body. Friends, we talk about, we're talking about deliverance here. Paul's talking about becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus, that we're, we're talking about no longer being enslaved to anger and passion and desire. We're talking about freedom here. You know, you can set somebody free from jail, but that doesn't make them free. What makes somebody free is getting them free of the behavior that put them there in the first place. And this is the great promise of Scripture, not just that we can have our sins forgiven, but we can be delivered from those actions that are destroying our life. Amen? You say, well, how do I get that? You know, I've been, a, I've been a Christian now, Gordon, for some years. I've read this thing. I've come to Bible study. I've prayed. I've tried it all. And uh, it just doesn't seem to be working for me. i just kind of have given up on the idea that I'm ever going to be able to overcome this. Well, again, Paul continues, Romans chapter 8, end of verse 4. He says, we need to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he, here's the key verse, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then he repeats that in verse 6. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It'll end in failure. It'll be Romans chapter 7. He said, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It's Romans chapter 8. It's victory. Friend, if you want victory over sin in your life, listening to Morgan Whalen sing about songs like whiskey glasses is not going to get you there. Okay? I, I think it's a great, catchy tune. Not here to put Morgan Whalen on, on on, uh, up for whatever you want to call that. Um, but, you know, I like some of those songs. I like Jason Aldean. I like Luke Combs. I like listening to those folks. But, friends, what happens is I listen to that stuff too much, and it begins drawing my sinful nature back up to the surface. It begins to resurrect that old man, that old self that I've been, I'd put to bed all those years ago. Friends, when those voices are resurrecting inside of me, we have to be smart enough to recognize that I need to turn that stuff off, and that I need to put my mind not on the things of the flesh, but rather on the things of the Spirit. And so before it gets to that point, we've got to make sure continually that we have the Holy Spirit of God at the forefront of our mind that's why we get together for bible study that's why we get together in small groups we hold one another accountable that's why we get together on sunday morning it's good to see one another's faces and have some accountability in our life that we're not just drifting off and spiraling off into our self-destruction and our sinful behaviors you say how do we make sure that our mind is set on the holy spirit of god well number one again prayer having that time of daily quiet just getting quiet before the lord Number two, being connected in relationship with other believers. Proverbs 27, verse 17, I don't think I have this as a verse, but it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And then number three, making sure that we are totally surrendered in every area of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we practice those three things in our lives, it has the opposite effect, friends, of listening to whiskey glasses. Right? Right? When we're spending time with the Lord in prayer, when we're spending time studying, getting together with other believers, when we're resubmitting ourselves and surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Christ on a daily basis, friends, it has the opposite effect of putting our mind on those things of the flesh. Friends, the more that we plug into God's voice, the more that God's mind and the more is, it dominates our thinking, and the more that we saturate it with the things of God and the people of God the greater our victory will be over our sinful nature. Paul said, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for speaking to us from your word today. We thank you for the encouragement that you give us, the hope that you give us, that God, we are not just slaves to our base instincts. But that, God, we can overcome these. We can overcome this sinful nature that's a part of us through the power of your Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, as we gather around this morning, be reminded of Jesus' shed blood and of his broken body. Encourage us that, Lord, we are not desperately lost, that we don't just have to continue in these same cycles of destructive behavior. But that, God, we can live a life that is wholly pleasing to you, that we can be free from the laws of sin and death. In this life, not just in the life to come. Lord, give us that fresh vision for our every day. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. We invite you to share in a time of communion. The elements are there in the seat in front of you. And then we'll continue with the time of worship.